Uh, I hope that it becomes practical at some point in our talking together. Uh, there are some ideas I want to communicate, some things I want to uh, kind of hopefully put in your spirit or in your thinking. But at the end of the time, I, I want to make sure I leave plenty of room for questions because wrestling with this whole idea of artistry in the church seems like it used to be simple, then it got complicated. Um, and then you actually dispel the complications and make it simple again, but then you ignore the issues. So I, hopefully we can talk through some of those things because I think, I think God meant for music in the church to be diverse, by the way. I don't think music was ever meant to be homogenized into one sound and one style because the church is so diverse. God made different colors, right? He made different, he allowed different languages to kind of give birth over the, in the earth. There's a reason why we're different, and it's because it, all of it together represents who God is. And I think music can be the same way. Um, I'll, uh, it looks like we have a couple people filtering in. Just by way of introduction, my name's Craig Dunnigan, and I love it when I come to a conference and they spell my name correctly. But it's because I go to church here that they got it right, probably. Um, but I've been with Integrity Music for just over 12 years. Uh, yeah, just over 12 years. Uh, I was before that with EMI Christian Music Group, which is now called Capital Christian Music Group. Before that, it was Sparrow Communications Group. Um, every time they change ownership, they change names. Uh, so nine years with Integrity, 12, uh, just about nine years, sorry, 12 years with Integrity, about nine years with EMI Christian Music Group. And then before that, I was in Nashville, Tennessee uh, for about 15 years. So I been in the Nashville scene, as some people call it, um, the Nashville ecosystem, but my heart is really for the local church. So there's nothing against uh, Nashville supporting and resourcing the local church. It's just that my heart was always to get closer to the church and further away from the industry, and I'm still on that pursuit because I think the local church is what God cares about more than he likes mechanisms and machines. But so, Craig Dunnigan, I'm VP of Music Publishing and Ministry Alliances for Integrity Music. Half my job is stewarding our song catalog. So, songs are what kind of keep the engine running for us, but it's also what keeps your engine running a lot of times on a weekly basis. I know if you ask a worship leader what their number one task is, it's getting the songs picked and ready and rehearsing the team, right? That probably takes well over half your time unless you have a massive church where you don't have to do that on a daily basis. Most of you probably would not be in that situation. So um, half my job is stewarding the song catalog and our songwriters and the resources surrounding those songs. And the other half of my job, which is what I'm most passionate about, is working with local churches of influence. Um, for instance, started working with New Life in 2004. They had done some things with integrity years before that, but in 2004, Ross Parsley and I kind of said, let's... He had the idea, you know what, I'm raising up young writers, uh, John Egan, Jared Anderson, Glenn Packiam, at that time, um, they were young writers. Um, and he says, I really wanted this to be about the church, not about me. And so they formed New Life Worship, and we started doing projects under the banner of New Life Worship now 10 years ago. So we've been walking, and I've been walking with New Life and their development of their music and their songwriting for quite some time. I've worked with Gateway Church, with Hillsong, with um, a variety of other churches. We actually have a church we're working with right now out of Dallas called Covenant Church, more of a gospel-style, multicultural approach. If you know what Israel Houghton's music's like, 
It's kind of that approach. See, I love that we can do that, though, because as I said at the very beginning, as most some of you were walking in, the church is diverse. God made the church diverse, and all of who God is somehow is represented in all of what the church is, and we're not all meant to look and sound the same. So hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, I hope that in the middle of this, if you have a question, you'll raise your hand. Uh, don't, because there's some distance here, don't be afraid to, to, to get my attention. And we'll definitely at the end leave room for pause. And, and by the way, the ground rules for questions are anything related to obviously what I've talked about, uh, maybe a comment that might uh, generate some discussion. Uh, and then lastly, any questions you might have about the industry. I mean, it's probably when you look at things happening and how they happen and what gets released, you probably have questions about that. And so we don't want to ignore those. We want to answer those questions uh, if you have any. So let's, let's get started. Uh, the official title, actually they've changed it, but my title would be The Worship Artist, Making Sense of Modern Worship. And when I did this class several years ago, I did it at a Christian artist seminar, and I called it Making Sense of the Modern Worship Movement, because at that time people were referring to modern worship as a movement. Now, I've refined my thinking since then, so I'll, and I'll explain that in a little bit, because um, I think what we have, modern worship, is a stylistic indicator. And so when, let's call it 10-plus years ago, you had the onslaught of th the UK worship music. How many of you were around in worship ministry when you started seeing Delirious and Tim Hughes and Matt Redman first come on the scene? Yeah. So I think a lot of us were just overwhelmed by what that was and what it did in our lives. But I started realizing that what started really out as a movement in the UK became more of a musical movement in the US. So over time, what we've seen is more of a stylistic shift in the church as opposed to a theological shift. But we hope that over time, the theology is there to back up our worship. But over time, we've seen that modern worship becomes more of a stylistic indicator. And if we talk about movements, a movement is by de definition something that kind of draws people together around a cause or around an idea. Um, and actually, movements can be positive or negative. Did you know that? So a movement could be Nazism, Islam. There could be all kinds of movements. But what we want to be about is God moving in the lives of people, not just an idea that we formulated or even that an industry constructed so that we would follow. This is not about marketing, it's about ministry. So, and we need to remember that. Even the subtlety of marketing versus ministry in our own churches and in how we select songs, you have to think always. You always have to check your spirit. Am I picking this song because people respond to it well, or am I picking this song because it moves the people closer to God in their journey in worship and in learning Scripture through song? So these are all subtleties you have to really think about. So like I said, movements are either positive or negative. And throughout history in Christian faith, there's been all kinds of what we would call movements, the Reformation, the charismatic movement, denominations start out of movements. Um, now, when we talk about using our gifts in the local church musically, gifts can be abused, used, or misdirected. So you can use your gift responsibly and well-directed, or you can misuse your gift or displace yourself in the local church because your gifts are not being properly applied. And hopefully that's what we'll, we'll dig into here. 
So a movement can be either initiated by God or by man. So a move can be either something that man starts through an ideology or that God starts through a revelation of who he is in the word. But God-initiated movements are actually for God's benefit and God's glory. And they bring a new awareness to something that God's revealed in his word. You guys are familiar with passion, obviously. Anybody that's involved in worship ministry is familiar with passion. Passion is a movement or was a movement, however you want to look at it. You could see it as a conference now, but it started as a movement around some scriptural ideas. And it was one person, Louis Giglio, saying, I want to put into the hearts of, at that point, Southern Baptist students, the idea that worship is a lifestyle and that worship is about God's glory, not about the songs that we sing. Fairly new idea at that time, especially for that denomination or for that, that group of people. But it spread beyond that, we know. So obviously, God-initiated movements are sometimes described as a revival. Whenever you see something referred to as revival, it's usually a new awakening or a new awareness of something that God's doing in the church. So ultimately, though, like I said earlier, we want a movement to be God moving in people's lives through worship. Um, And you can't, by the way, equate the revival of worship in your church with a new musical style. That has nothing to do with renewing a person's lives. Just because you shifted your style in your church doesn't mean that lives are changed anymore. It just may mean that they enjoy the the musical worship more. So we have to really watch those subtleties in our life. So you can't relegate uh, modern worship to one style. When we refer to modern worship, it really could look different in China than it does in the U.S. When people ask me, what's the best worship song you've ever heard? I said, it's probably one I've never heard. It's probably one that's being sung in China in the country somewhere. It's probably the one being sung by someone in their bedroom after they've just lost a loved one. It's, it's probably the best, the best worship songs are probably the ones we'll never sing in church. But at the end of the day, worship is, as we know, it's about our revelation of who God is and then singing that and being, that being revealed to us. Um, well, let me say about modern worship as we've come to know it. Let's, call it, let's say it's been around for 15 years. I was hungry, just give you a little testimony, I was hungry 15 years ago for, for God. I wasn't hungry for something new in worship. I, beca- I, I had a hunger for God rise up in me that made me want to worship more and understand who God was more. In fact, um, I didn't say this in my mini bio at the beginning, but you got, any of you guys use worshiptogether.com, that website? You've heard of it. It's a song discovery website. Well, I started that site with a couple of other guys when I was at my previous company, but it all came out of a desire to resource and bless the church with God-centered songs. And it turned out that we ended up forming relationships with movements and, and ministries that were bringing something brand new to the sound of worship. But again, bringing something new to the sound of worship doesn't mean you're bringing something new to the realities and the truth of what worship is. But when I was impacted by worship music, it was because something was revealed to me about what worship was and what it meant through Scripture. And I wanted to respond to that with my my songs. And so it didn't start as there's a need in the church. There was a need in my life. And at the end of the day, we all have to respond to the need in our congregation's life. And I would argue that that need can only be fulfilled 
if we listen to the Lord and the type of music that we bring into our church. But back when I got started in all this, what was lacking was worship in a modern vernacular. Um, there had been a lot of contemporary worship. You know, worship didn't start 15 years ago with Delirious. Worship has been going on for eternity. But in the way we think of worship today, a lot of people would say, man, it was amazing when worship music started in 1998. <laughs> well, it didn't. But there was a lack of modern music that was Christ-centered, God-centered, word-filled music. So what's happened now, kind of fast-forwarding, is this musical movement that has now taken over the mainstream of Christian music. I don't know how many of you remember when worship music would not be played on the radio. They would not play a worship song on the radio. In fact, when I was at EMI slash Sparrow, I actually signed Chris Tomlin's first song. So I've known Chris when he was wearing dirty boots and a ball cap everywhere he went. But I actually went to the head of radio for our label, and I said, uh, you've got to play Chris Tomlin on the radio, this song forever that he's written. It'd be great for radio, or maybe there's a couple of other examples. He goes, radio will not play worship music. He just came right out and said it, and he really believed that. Well, fast forward a few years, will radio play anything but worship music now? There's a lot of great songs out. And what has happened now that worship has become part of the musical mainstream that we now have in your churches, the filtering up. Instead of it filtering down from worship leaders to the congregation, now we're finding in some congregations that people will hear a worship song on the radio and they'll go to their worship leader and say, hey, when are we going to do We Believe by the Newsboys? which is a great song. You may not be able to do it the way they did it. And I'm plugging that song because it's an integrity music song. But, but I think it is a great song. Um, but, you know, people will ask that question. And that's a recent dynamic. When did it ever be that the congregation learned worship songs before the worship leader did? And I, I see it as a good issue, a good problem generally, because it gives people something to worship uh, with in their car musically. But really what happened many years ago is is there was a, re a musical movement, a, a renewing of style. Um, and you were hard-pressed to find many songs in the mainstream of Christian music that could actually be used in the church. Now we don't have that problem, thank the Lord. So it was all birthed out of a desire to see a new vernacular for people to worship with. And then I talked about the filtering up concept. Um, so getting to the kind of the meat of all this, let me give you a scripture. Uh, as you think about the artistry that is in your church. And so we're going to shift to talking about the variety of musical expressions with the aim of creating a response to God in every one of these that might be represented in your church. Let me ask you this question before I read the scripture. How many of you have done away with uh, vocal solos in your church completely? Meaning there's no one that gets up and does a standalone vocal solo like during an offertory so how many of you don't do that? Okay. How many of you used to have a choir but no longer do? Okay. I'm just asking the question. And I'm not saying all those things are God's idea. I'm just saying they're things that bring a different aspect of worship. But, again, we can all be pressured by the marketplace. Remember I talked about marketing versus ministry? We can all be pressured to form our ministry according to what we see instead of what God told us to do. 
And let me read this to you, Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? So whenever you look at other people as your only model for how you do worship ministry, and it's not directed by the Holy Spirit by how you form and balance your own worship ministry, you're actually in some ways pursuing a model made by man instead of one made by God. And again, what else do we have but to look at what other people do? But to look at what other people do, but then ask the Lord, how do you want our worship ministry to be formed? How do you want us to balance musical expression with artistry in the church? Those are important questions to ask. And I think God has set up a model for that that's implied in the New Testament. But Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish after beginning with the, sp- with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? So let's not try to finish in our own powers and ingenuity something that God began in the Spirit. Again, it's so easy to turn a movement into a mechanism. And we're good at that as humans, as Americans in particular. It's like, God moved here, let's package it and bottle it up and send it to a few places. I'm telling you, it's just it's as part of human nature. But remember I said early in this, you need to have proper application of gifts in the church. So if God has birthed something in you musically that doesn't fit with the platform ministry of your church, it does not mean that God didn't birth that in you. Because God's given you a certain gift or a certain type of expression and it doesn't fit right now, it doesn't mean that God didn't call you to do it. So, and we'll get to some specifics in a minute. Um, I'm going to skip over a couple things here. Um, so when God is leading you to do something, then it's fueled by his spirit, his favor, and his power. And the reason I asked about choirs and soloists and different types of artistry is because what I want to ask you is, why does someone have to leave the church to use their musical gifts? Why would they feel like they have to go outside the church to use their gifts? if they're gifted to serve in the church. And I would challenge you to think of different ways to create new expressions of worship. Because I will say this, a lot of times, you ever heard the phrase familiarity breeds contempt? Well, it may not breed contempt, but it definitely breeds you ignoring something. If I've heard something over and over and over again, sometimes you have a tendency to ignore it. That's why we change up songs in our worship too. We do want people to have fresh you know, expressions they can put their voice to. But as it relates to the diversity of musical giftings in the church, I want to open up your eyes to something. One time I was sitting with a guy who had been teaching on worship for, at that point, 15 years. And this was like 1997. And I was wrestling, actually, I didn't understand Colossians 3, 16 and 17, what it really meant. Uh, And let me read that to you. Uh, You guys could probably all quote it back to me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, without going deep into the theology or the background of that verse, I once heard someone say, not this gentleman that I'm referring to, that this referred to musical style But think about when this was written in the New Testament. They didn't have reggae. They didn't have hip-hop. They didn't have modern rock. They didn't have alternative. They didn't have Irish pop, which I guess would be Wren Collective and Mumford & Sons. They didn't have all that. They had one style. 
So if it was referring to musical style, I think that breaks down pretty quickly. But in my mind, it's simply stated that psalms are songs to God. They're sung prayers. Hymns are songs about God. They, they teach doctrine or they declare what God's done in our lives or they tell a testimony. That's the lost art, right, in our churches, testimony. And then lastly, spiritual songs are songs from God. So psalms are songs from, uh, to God. Hymns are songs about God, and spiritual songs are songs from God. And so as I've unpacked that in my life and in my understanding of what worship is and how we can plan worship sets and birth new worship songs in the church, I've also come to understand that this also can refer to musical giftings in the church. And let me give you three words that might help you. Um, pastor, presenter, and prophet. Another way to put that is a psalmist, a performer, and maybe a prophetic voice. So in my mind, there are three musical functions in the church. There are congregational worship songs that are meant to have everyone join their voice with yours. And that's the 90% of what we do in the church is congregational worship songs that everyone's singing along with. There's something powerful about that. It's the most, in some ways, one of the most powerful expressions of worship. But then you have hymns, or um, I would call them presentational songs. There are things that only presentational songs can do. Um, when you listen to Christian radio, there are so many people that that ministers to because as they're driving down the road in their car, they'll turn it on and there'll be an encouragement from Scripture or a testimony or something that speaks to their life. They may not want to sing along with that song, but it speaks to their heart. And I think there's things that we can get when we're listening to someone sing that we can't always get when we're singing along. There's a style of expression. There's a type of song that actually speaks of God's greatness and teaches theology. Modern hymns do this. Many of them are meant to be sung, but other modern hymns are not necessarily for congregational use. They're for presentation of an idea about who God is, maybe telling a story of what God's done in someone's life. So a, a psalmist or a pastor is someone who is shepherding a congregation by helping them with sung prayers. A performer is someone that kind of brings an idea from Scripture or a testimony or a declaration of who God is through song, and it may not be intended for the congregation to sing along. And then lastly, there's the prophetic voice that's really delivering either a spontaneous or a new word from God to people at a given time. And then let me, let me break those down a little bit more. If you're a psalmist or if your primary gifting, and by the way, I'm saying your primary gifting, but the intent here is that you would unlock some, some diversity for your church and musical giftings that are in your church. So if you're a psalmist, you are most likely a worship leader, meaning your primary goal is to help the people of God sing their prayers back to God in congregational worship. So that would be a psalmist or a worship leader. Um, this is often a pastoral calling, more than it's even a creative calling. I would say the best worship pastors aren't always the most creative. They're just the best shepherds of a group of people. How many of you are worship pastors, by the way? Okay. Um, and by the way, I think it's very dangerous for a psalmist or a worship leader to think that they're gifted to be a presenter or a performer. 
again, we're talking about misuse of our gifts. A lot of times a pastor or a worship pastor feels the pressure to perform when really they should feel the pressure to pastor and shepherd their team and their church. And a lot of times they feel this pressure to move and do other things because people have bragged on them. How many of you get this prey, like you're the greatest, you should do an album, you should have a record deal. Well, if you're truly called to be a worship pastor, I'm not sure your best use of that gift is having a record deal. So I'm just being honest with you. Um, so a worship pastor is accountable to their people, to their pastor, to their church. I also believe that psalmists generally write songs for congregational worship, um, something non-musicians can engage in. Congregational worship is actually designed so that people who aren't professional singers or musicians can actually participate. And I think there's a dangerous move lately towards having to sound like the album all the time. I hope I haven't killed somebody's model here. But if your church doesn't sound like Hillsong, why do you have to sound like Hillsong? If your church is 50 people and it's best set for acoustic worship, why not do that? Why do you have to pull in multi-track stems all the time? And I've helped them get started, so I'm not against multi-tracks. Uh, I was with them since the beginning. But why does your church have to sound like every other church? If you're truly being a worship pastor, why don't you shape your musical sound to fit your congregation? So I'll jump off the pulpit on that one. Um, if God has truly called you to be a psalmist, and it's most likely you're called to the local church. You can rest in that and be satisfied, by the way. The, I think the highest calling is serving the local church as a musician. doesn't mean it's the only calling, but I think it is a high calling. So be faithful in what God's given you if that's who you are. Now, let me tell you the dangers. I kind of alluded to this a little bit. The danger for a psalmist or a pastoral musician is that you experience success and you think you need to jump to larger platforms for your gift to really be used. You think your profile, image, your personality needs to confirm to conform to the platforms you've observed that, that others have. You try to be someone God's not created you to be. I've seen many successful worship pastors get so many accolades on the local level, and so many people tell them they need a record deal, that they move to Nashville, they end up waiting tables and hoping for a little slot on a worship team in some church. And then when they try to do showcases, they're a worship pastor. They're not a performer. And so it doesn't... Oh, my. There's a large insect crawling on the floor. Here. <laughs> I must be easily distracted. Yeah, just kill it. It's probably a scorpion. <laughs> We've just lost the flow completely here. Um, so imagine a worship pastor who is extremely gifted in Boise, Idaho, moving to Nashville. <laughs> I don't know what you just did, <laughs> but it looked funny. Um, imagine a worship pastor who is extremely gifted in Boise, Idaho, hearing all these words of, of affirmation. Man, you've got the best. You've got the best voice in the world. Man, you're, you're as good as Jeremy Camp or you name whomever. And then they end up moving to Nashville. It's, again, if God tells you to do that, who are we to argue? But I've seen it not work so many times. So just let it be a fair warning. Your ambitions should match the placement of your gift. 
um, your ambition should not overtake the placement of your gift. So that's a danger for psalmists or, or uh, uh, worship leaders. Now let me go to the next category, performers or presenters. It's a lost start in the church, isn't it? I think there are times when artistry is very needed in the church. Musical artistry brings something to people's lives that nothing else can. And it has to be properly placed, and it has to be God-centered. So I would encourage you to start looking for gifts in your church that could be more presentational than congregational. And look for powerful songs that work for those people. I mean, there may be a time that leading into communion, you want to sing a song about the cross of Christ that's not necessarily congregational because it says something that no other song says about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross or the resurrection. Um, there are great songs out there that are not as easy to sing, but they are great for a soloist that have powerful truth in them. And again, should we, should we squelch those kinds of expressions just because they don't fit our current model? You might have to temporarily but be thinking about ways to help these people. So when I talk about a performer or a presenter, uh, someone who sings these types of songs or has this gift, usually has a gift of performance. There are certain people that actually do have a gift for performance, and that is a gift from God. I mean, drama, acting, uh, presentational singing, this is all part of what God has created. And the thing is, did God not visit our churches 20 years ago before we had this modern worship movement? Was God absent from our churches? No. So why don't we think about how can we bring all these things together for his glory as long as it's Christ-centered and not man-centered? The danger, moving into the dangers of a performer in your church, is they can very easily focus the performance on themselves because they have this amazing gift. And so you have to kind of Make sure that everyone knows that whatever we're doing on the platform is an expression of worship. It may be represented through your gift in a different way than it is my gift as the worship pastor, but just know it's about pointing people to Christ. Whether they sing every word with you with their voices, their heart needs to be joined, and you need to reflect God's glory, not take God's glory. And obviously, as worship leaders, we have to be constantly reminded of that. I think a lot of times what happened in the 90s with Christian music, and I was in Christian music in the 90s, a lot of it became very man-centered and artist-centered. It's almost like the church existed to support artists versus artists existing to support the church. And tours were set up so that the church became more of a concert venue than a worship center. And so I think we need to keep all that in balance. So as we think about giving talented singers or presentational singers an opportunity you just have to have a good theology of worship. If your theology of worship is good and you properly place people's gifts, you should have no problem when they get up on stage properly using their gifts. So again, back to the beginning, psalmists or pastors through song, presenters or performers, there is a place for them in the church. A lot of people relegate that to Christmas. It's like, okay, Christmas is our time, and that's, there's no problem with that. But Obviously, in any of these things, you have to have your pastor on board. You know, don't just go out on a limb and try this and, and it backfire on you. But, yeah, I think it's important that there are worship pastors, there are presentational singers, and then lastly, there's prophetic voices. So prophetic voices. This is an interesting one because people who have never been in a 
kind of a, a spirit-filled or a charismatic or Pentecostal church don't quite get what a prophetic song is. So to remove the spookiness from just the basic definition of prophetic, prophetic basically means a living word from a living God to a living people. So being led by the Holy Spirit during a service to bring a song into the set that wasn't currently planned, in my mind, that's prophetic because God has led you to give a word to the people that wasn't necessarily preordained. However, the same God that leads you in the middle of the service can lead you before Sunday to pick a certain song. I was a worship pastor for a few years, and I could remember God leading me to a song that was going to be the song that I felt was going to be transformational for someone, meaning whatever that scripture was, that song was filled with, or whatever that moment was, I sensed that God wanted to bring into the service. To me, that was prophetic. There's also, obviously, spontaneous songs. That's a prophetic gift or a prophetic use of music. But let me give you another perspective. There are prophetic voices in worship. Um, I was literally at IHOP. You guys ever heard of International House of Prayer? I was there in the prayer room yesterday, and funny story, um, I thought they had moved the prayer room to another part of town because I looked on Google, and it said International House of Prayer. So I went there, and I went into the All Nations prayer room. Well, I happened upon a whole two-hour session in Chinese, (laughs) which was wonderful. I mean, it was such a great experience, but I couldn't read the captions on the screen. I was completely lost, but I just ended up praying for an hour. But um, IHOP has basically set this model of intercessory worship. Is there a place for that in your church? Could you make a place for that in your church? I think that's important. I think that's a gift that God gives, someone who can flow in intercessory, worshipful, prayerful worship, I guess is the way to put it. There's another aspect of prophetic voice, a living word to a living people. Uh, You guys ever heard of Christian musicians who end up intentionally going into the mainstream? Mainstream music? Not all of them, mind you, but some of them can actually be prophetic voices. Uh, You know, prophets would step into the city square and they would say things that really challenged people or that pricked people's hearts. They maybe didn't understand their message completely, but people were changed by it eventually because it it did something in their heart. So I think prophetic voices can be extremely talented musicians that feel called to the mainstream. They're going to be a voice to this generation in a way that a worship pastor is not going to be. A person who sings contemporary Christian songs on a platform are not going to be. So I hope this isn't like freaking you out, but there are actual singers that are called to the mainstream that are believers. And you just have to be aware that that's a way God can use people. And then, of course, there's also people like, um, I'm going to miss some key names here, but Misty Edwards, uh, going back a few years, Rita Springer, um, you know, and you guys could name five others, um, that are really prophetic singers. Um, their music isn't as accessible as some, but when you're in worship, with them leading, you're never, no less moved or no less brought into God's presence. It's just that it may be a soundtrack for your prayers. And again, when we look at Colossians 3:16 and 17, sing to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. God's hymn book is not one type of song. It's literally all these types of expressions. So are you a worship pastor or do you have pastoral people on your team? You should. Are you, do you have a performance gift? 
Well, find a way to use that for the glory of God in your church. Are you more of a prophetic voice in that you have a gift for intercessory or spontaneous worship? Or, like in my extreme example, maybe God's given you a calling to be in the mainstream because you want to be salt and light. All I would say is that anybody that's going to do that has to be, have more prayer in their lives than anyone else in worship ministry or, or music ministry because obviously the temptations and the environments you find yourselves in will be extreme. But there are people who can have a real difference there. So again, there is a danger. When we talked about dangers for the others, the danger for a prophetic voice is like any other prophet, you can start to feel lonely. You know, the prophets always felt alone because they had a really a hard or an innovative message. Your passion for God will not always be received with willing hearts, but if you're called, you have to go. You have to speak the truth of God in love with the gifts that God has given you. And if you get discouraged, you can be tempted to abandon ministry because you can't find success with that kind of gift. But I will say there's a place for intercessory prophetic worship. There's a place for mainstream music that brings truth into people's lives. And by the way, we need more prophetic voices in music. We really do. It shouldn't just be limited to the prayer room. I think there's a place for that maybe in prayer times at your church or maybe in altar time. Maybe someone has that gift or you can cultivate that gift where you identify it in someone's life. So we need more of that. We need all three of these expressions. Worship pastors who steward God's people through song. Um, pre presenting performers. Performers who bring an awareness of something in God's word that maybe is best told through a, a, a crafted song as opposed to a simple worship song. And then lastly, prophetic voices that bring something, a right now word from God in worship to God's people. And I believe, based on Colossians 3:16 and 17, that this is all part of what God has intended for the church. So I don't want to be a hypocrite in saying all this. Uh, when you think about the music industry, most of the people in the music industry are one of the first two. They're worship pastors who actually produce albums out of their church, or they are performers, artists. There's not a lot of broadly or widely successful prophetic voices. I wish there were more, and I do think that's going to happen over time. And what's interesting is those songs birthed through prophetic voices are starting to make their way into the mainstream. You guys ever heard of United Pursuit? So their songs are starting to find their way onto mainstream Christian artists, which I think is wonderful. See, God's birthing these things in a variety of places and then giving them a voice in other places. Um, so let me, let me give one more context here. A worship pastor that has a desire to record should have the greatest desire to document what God's doing in their local church. And there are a lot of uh, churches, as you know, I mean, the list keeps growing, <laughs> of churches that are recording their own albums and putting them out. And I think that's healthy and fine, provided the church is behind it and the motive's pure. And then lastly their first attention is to their local congregation, and the second would be to see it overflow from their church to others. Um, if I, like Integrity Music, before we ever worked with a church made up of worship pastors, before we ever signed them to a recording deal, I always want to meet the, work, the senior pastor. There are some churches that, uh, I should say one specifically, but I think there's another example, uh, where I had been talking to the worship team for years, probably two years, I met the senior pastor, and I stopped talking to them. 
because all I saw in him was ambition and a sales job. I thought, okay, if he in his first meeting with me is trying to sell me on how great their church is and you better jump on the bandwagon, then just imagine how that's going to filter down to the worship team when they start seeing some success. So again, the motive has to be pure. The, the, the ministry has to be healthy. And then the overflow of that ministry is what brings the best fruit long-term. You can have short-term fruit, but I'm talking about long-term fruit. So there's a place for worship pastors to record in the context of their church. There's certainly a place for performers to record and create opportunity for those kinds of songs. And though, although more limited, there's a place for these prophetic songs and prophetic giftings to rise up in the church and find their way, just like it is with United Pursuit. It hasn't happened with the songs from International House of Prayer because they, don't, they intentionally don't craft their songs so that other people can use them. Not because they don't want other people to use them. They're just, that's not the purpose. It's for the moment. It's for the prayer room. So there's a variety of musical giftings in the church. With all these musical giftings, let me give you one more scripture, and then we'll take some discussion or questions. Isaiah 42.8 says, that's Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Again, with whatever gift you use, you have to constantly direct people back to the purpose. It's revealing the word, the truth, and the presence of God through worship, through, through the word in worship. So those are the things you have to remember, but I'm gonna, I hope I've opened up. You've probably thought about this and dismissed some of these ideas, but I would say, especially in troubled times, okay, we are in troubled times. There may not be persecution in your city, and it doesn't mean it's coming, but somewhere around the world there are people being persecuted. We know that. It's obvious to us. And people in your church are thinking about that. I will guarantee you that there are people in your church thinking about I wonder if ISIS is going to show up on my city street with a knife. I'm telling you, they're thinking it. And if you were honest, you would say, I've thought it too. Well, with people, with those thoughts in the background, what kind of song should you bring to them on Sunday morning? Probably a song of hope, a song of protection, a song of peace. So be thinking about those things as you pastor your congregation. Are there musical expressions that can bring that best? as opposed to a simple, singable worship chorus, there may be a variety of expressions that can really touch your people. And that's the whole reason for bringing these ideas to you. It's not so that we can have this neat little seminar about different types of musical expression. It's so that people can be touched wherever they are with wherever their needs are in a way that they can take that with them out of Sunday morning and into the week. Because we know that transformation can happen on Sunday morning, but it's more likely it's a process in people's lives. So that's what I have to say. Um, I want to open it up to questions, and don't be ashamed to ask any question about, you know, curiosities you've had about the types of things that are in the marketplace or music or the types of artistry that's in the church or why it happens or why certain people are popular. Whatever you want to ask, we have a few minutes. So uh, I'll open it up to any questions you might have. Or no questions. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Do you mind if I repeat that question? Are you done with the question? Okay. So his question is, what's, what are the good indicators that would say our local church is ready to overflow to other churches or to 
to, um, yeah, to go outward with our music or with our ministry. And you're talking maybe in the area of original songs. Yeah. Well, here's, here's what I tell people. Um, never think about recording until you have um, a significant number of songs that have proven to be effective in your church, but possibly have also started to be taken notice of by other churches. Um, and one way to find out is to share them with other people. So again, it's always best to introduce your own songs without your name at the bottom because they'll be motivated to like them. Now, the difference is, and again, I'll come back to your question. I'm kind of going around the block. Uh, the difference is if there's a particular season in your church and you feel like God gave you a song for that season or for that need, I think it would be good for them to know it came from your church. But generally, recording in your church, you should do that whenever you feel like it's ready. And there is something powerful about the church endorsing your worship ministry by investing in a recording. And I actually like the way it brings the church together, uh, provided you're inclusive. You know, it's always a wrestling match between inclusiveness and quality. You know, because all your musicians on your team aren't studio quality. <laughs> um, but still, I would say when you start seeing evidence of the songs living for a long period of time in your church, but also starting to spill over without a recording or without formal efforts into other churches. And it's not just internal affirmation. You probably need some external affirmation. Yeah, where it's, it seems natural that, wow, other people heard these songs and took them to their church. And sometimes you have to be intentional with that and sharing them with others you have relationship with. Um, I would say that once you probably have three to four, maybe up to six songs that fall in that category, would be the time to start thinking about documenting because at that point, the evidence should be there from your pastor and from other leadership that God's doing something. Um, it's always hard to know when to tell people God's doing something and to see them notice it. It's better if those things converge so that you get the support you need financially or even, you know, with the, the heartbeat of the church. So that's what I would say. Um, the only difference, uh, the, the only exception I would say to that is if you're very isolated geographically and it's hard to share relationally, uh, you can start with YouTube and share it with churches you're in relationship with in your network. Everyone's part of some kind of network of churches, even if you're independent. You have something, someone you identify with. And seeking feedback is important because what works in one church doesn't necessarily work in every church. And you really need some evidence that it tr can travel. Does that make sense? That's a very simple, but that's the baby step, if you will. So, any other questions? Maybe spinning off that way in the back. Yeah, what's interesting is, and again, that's a great question. His question is, what are some indicators that someone may be more of an artist versus a pastor? Um, I would say, first of all, they need to have a passion for God in any case, right? But they may have a passion for performance or for 
their, their musical gifting. They probably put more effort into developing their musical chops. Uh, maybe it's vocally or otherwise. Um, secondly, um, hopefully the evidence is there that their skill level is off the charts. Um, sometimes a worship pastor can have amazing ability uh, to present, but their real calling is to pastor people. That's what their heart bleeds. But you can kind of start observing, okay, are these people, do they kind of relish in being a part of the team or do they relish in the use of their gifts? And again, if it's self-centered, that would not be a good indicator. But if it's, they kind of have a passion for bringing a song as opposed to leading a song. And again, if you haven't set up this culture in your church, you have to really watch carefully for it. And it doesn't mean every church should do this, but I think more churches should be giving that opportunity if, especially if you see, and, you know, is the person good with people? <laughs> if they're not great with people, but they're great at leading and their heart's right, they're probably more of a presenter than a, a campus worship leader because a campus worship leader probably needs to have more of a pastoral gift. Now, the exception is the multi-site church model where they just need somebody to show up and lead worship with multi-track stems. That's a little bit different. I'm not sure it's great in every case, but... I'll tell you the best model of a campus worship leader, I'm off your subject now, but it's somewhat uh, Church of the Highlands. You guys heard of Church of the Highlands in uh, Birmingham, Alabama? They actually made their campus worship pastors the campus pastors because they said, who else is going to have a stronger, more regular connection with the people in that area of our region? The worship pastors. So they intentionally picked campus worship pastors that had pastoral gifts, not performance gifts. And I love what's happened there. But just basic indicators is the level of skill, maybe what their natural bent is in leadership or, or lack of. You know, they may be a leader with their gift, but not necessarily a leader with their, uh, their pastoral leanings. Uh, they don't naturally rally the team, but they are really passionate about bringing a song or a, or a moment musically to people. Yes, go ahead. He is, he is a, he started as a worship pastor, but he had a passion for presenting songs to people all around the country. So he always had a worship pastor position, but that was the minority of the time. He would spend most of his time presenting songs to others and leading people outside of a local congregation. Um, the first time I ever heard him lead worship was in a, a low-ceiling uh, youth conference, like the youth conference looks like it was in the basement of this church. There were 250 people in that room, but the room lit up with his presence. And I don't mean that taking away from God, just his ability to lead, his ability to bring people in kind of transcended at one congregation. So I would put him kind of in a, a presentational worship leader who writes songs for the church. And these, there's a mashup of all these things. There can be a combination of these gifts in someone, but there's probably a primary gift that's going to uh, show itself. Yeah, I would. I think so. But but again, that's a subtlety we have to be careful of. The passion can be music. I know you. I know that. Yeah, I know because. Hopefully, it's about helping people in whatever gift you've been given. 
But I think it's what your primary passion drives you to and how God uses your gift. Is it rallying teams together to lead people in congregational singing, or is it affecting people with your gift so that a truth is revealed through that musical gift? Maybe it's a good way to put it. Yes. Um, I've not seen many people that have a strong prophetic gift that are, are worship pastors or, or presenters. They tend to have a fairly uh, focused um, approach. Uh, I'm sure there are worship pastors that flow well in the prophetic or in the spontaneous, but they're still their primary role would be to lead people in singing songs of truth you know, together. But yeah, I think there's always a blend of that. And also there can be seasons where, just like if you do Strengths Finder or your different like personality profiles, you're not just one thing, but you have a primary thing. I think we're talking here about primary gifting, not your only gifting. But ultimately, you, know, you focus on your strengths and you work on your weaknesses, right? So uh, I think it's always best to focus on your strength, but it doesn't mean that's the only thing you can do because there may be a need for what these other things are at some given time. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah, you probably agree with it. Yes, sir. And discover your calling and gift, meaning uh, in what particular area? Meaning the individual team members? Yeah. I would say, um, do you audition your team members? Yeah. So I think in those auditions, picking a variety of songs, maybe having people do two songs, one that's very congregational, one that maybe is more of a presentation. If you suspect that gift may be active in your church, you may not have anybody like this in your church because of the way you've structured your ministry. They may have since gone to the Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> You know, um, I'm not, I'm sorry. That was probably, <laughs> it's probably a wrong thing to say um, because they, there was no place for them, but they are whatever. I, I'm digging a hole. I, I've dug it. I'm in it. <laughs> um, so I would say maybe two different um, songs. Have them do, you know, Holy is the Lord or something more simple than that. Then have them do, um, I don't know. I'm just throwing a song out, Your Great Name by Natalie Grant. You know, one can be worshipful, but really requires more of a, a, a vocal gift to do it. So think about that, and you might start identifying, wow, they really nailed that song. And as you observe them in the ministry, because they have the skill level to be a part of it, you start going, hmm, okay, there's this moment before communion, or there's this offer, offering moment where I feel like we should have them do this song, because it's not a song we can easily put in the middle of our worship set. Does that help? Okay. Way in the back. Uh oh.
Oh, my. (laughs) I'm afraid um, I've been so long in the industry, I'm not sure I can actually help you with that. Because I get the privilege of picking the cream. I'm sorry to say that. But now, if I'm ever in a local church setting, if I go to be a pastor, which may happen at some point in my life, I'm going to have to deal with all this. (laughs) And I'll be coming to you to learn from you. But right now, I get to kind of be inoculated from that a little bit. Um, I will say this. If, if anybody has, not at this moment, but raise your hand again in a green jacket, I guess. If you have learned your way through that, uh, if you're in a small church, it's harder than if you're in a large church. Because, you know, there's not like this natural escalation system through the ministries So if you guys have learned how to deal with it, please share it with her, okay? Because I don't don't have a good answer for you. I did deal with it um, when I was a worship pastor, but it's been so long, I'm afraid I'll give you outdated advice. So I'm sorry I can't answer that one. Right there. I do, because then you can say, we want to properly place your gift. I'm sorry, that's, but don't you think that's a good way to put it? We want to make sure your gift is properly placed in the church. Anyway. Um, Yes, back there. Okay, so you have several songs you've written and you would like to record them. Okay, let me ask you this. Will it be, how will you get the budget to do it, whatever level? Okay. Yes, oh my, that's a whole other seminar. Um, no, but it's a good question. Um, as far as publishing, in most churches, most churches should not have a publishing company. Although, but some should. It's all about um, how called the church is to cultivating and, and raising up writers, and secondly, how much are they going to invest in it? A church may be uh, committed to the idea of songs being written in the church, but they're not committed to the point of putting money towards the promotion and the uh, proliferation of those songs out to other churches. So as far as publishing goes, you just need to know what level of investment or commitment the church has to it. And there's a difference between making a recording or getting songs out to the world. So making a recording is documenting what God's doing in your church musically, and that does not have to be original songs, by the way. I've heard great church projects where they record their favorite songs from other writers, and it still means something to the church. But um, So as far as publishing, that's a big subject. I would say generally in a smaller church or even a medium-sized church, they should not have a publishing company, but the writers should give free usage of the songs to the church. Meaning, let them own the songs just under their own name. You know, John uh, Davidson, just pull that name out of a hat. Um, But give the church free usage because the church is investing in the recording. As far as copyright goes, the only time I would ever register a song for copyright is if um, 
you think the song's going to spread to a, a fairly large number of churches. And by fairly large, let's call it a dozen. Yeah, a dozen other churches are going to be adopting these songs. That's when you need to start thinking about publishing, copyright, CCLI in particular, like registration of those songs. And it's harder for individuals to do that just on their own. That feels like at that point the church should do something to start giving up, uh, what's the word, uh, encouraging or facilitating those songs. Um, as far as recording itself, you can do it cheaply or you can do it very expensively. It's just a question of how much you feel like the church can raise or, or support, support it. Where are you based, by the way? North Dakota. I know there's got to be a recording studio somewhere in North Dakota. Great. Perfect. Okay. So you're, you're well on your way. Yeah, or well, GarageBand, every MacBook Pro, you know. You can start there. Okay. Let me go right here. Uh, what Integrity Music looks for is um, we look for artists. We look for churches and ministries, and we look for songwriters. Um, so an artist might be someone who's really gifted at presenting songs that the church can sing, but the way they present it means they will have attention around their artistry, and they might actually be able to be on the radio. Because, you know, a radio artist is different than a, a good worship pastor singer. You know, there's a certain type of vocal skill or style so we look for artists. That's in the minority of what we do is solo artists. Um, we look for churches and ministries where there are songs being written. Um, and I'll tell you, generally, it's a church or ministry that has growing or already has grown in their influence. So they have a bit of a, uh, an influence around surrounding them. You know what I'm saying? Because you want to be able to multiply their efforts, not have to do all the work from ground zero. Uh, so it's usually they've developed to a certain point, and then you partner with them to take it out to others. And then uh, we look for songwriters that may or may not be, um, how should I say it, um, known people, but they are probably part of a vibrant ministry. But that ministry may not be influential, but they have an incredible gift. Um, and sometimes those people end up becoming people we do albums on. But Integrity Music is about songs first. Just remember I mentioned the Newsboys song, We Believe? It just was at 15 weeks number one on Christian radio. That's our song, but you wouldn't know it. And that's happened time and time again where we're known for our song titles more than we're known for our brand. And sometimes our songwriters get frustrated. Man, people need to know about what I do. And I said, well, they do. They know your songs. And there are other people that do need a platform for their musical gift, and that's when they kind of fall in the artist category. So recently we've signed a ministry. We've signed an artist from Canada who will probably be a radio artist, and we've signed an individual songwriter who's at a very large church, but it's probably not going to be a mega Christian artist. So it's, it's just a variety of, of things. So we're working, looking for those three things, and then the question is skill level, and then there's things like accountability. Their influence is growing in their sphere. They have momentum, meaning other people have affirmed their gifts in some way, and we've somehow heard about them or had a relationship through another person. Usually it comes through referral to us. Someone tells us about something, and we go 
explore it, so to speak. Even YouTube is a discovery method these days, believe it or not. All right, so, uh, yes. Yeah, well, she's asking about prophetic songs, right? Um, it also, you know, obviously it depends on your church. I've seen some churches plan their worship set, but then, uh, you know, they use a phrase, maybe free time or flow, where they actually intentionally build in to their set some time for people to sing their own prayers or for a, a spontaneous time. A lot of times, and I think this is a lost art, we need to have time after a a message or a sermon to respond to the Word of God. I don't think we do that enough. Some of it's because we're in our churches and we have multiple services or we're very time conscious because of the nursery or because there's kids that we got to get. But I, I just long for that time when we could respond to the Word of God in worship. And maybe, maybe you could ask your pastor to preach less time. See how that goes over. But, um, but you know, hey, can you... And let me just make a suggestion. Just, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> Can you preach seven minutes less and give people a chance? There's a subtle way to do that. And that wasn't subtle. Um, but anyway, you can build that in. Uh, you can also be led by the Spirit, as I mentioned earlier, to plan a song in that's maybe more free form. Or maybe, see, a lot of times we feel like we have to do the whole song. Why don't we just do the chorus of a well-known song and then use that as the, the launching pad into a time like that? Songs that everybody knows, and then it's easy for them to, to sing or, or make their own song. Does that make sense? Uh, and it depends on your church, obviously, you know, and you want your pastor to know what you're about to do. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I know. Well, and I think it all has to do with the culture you raised up in your church and the opportunities you give those people. You know what I'm saying? And again, this won't work for every church. I'm not trying to change your whole view on how you do your worship sets. I'm just trying to open up your understanding that there are people that have that gifting, and it's a shame to not give them some opportunity. But you have to be spirit-led by the type of song that is, that it's God-glorifying and word-filled and Christ-centered. That's good. Write that down. <laughs> God-glorifying, word-filled, Christ-centered, and that they are not trying to amplify themselves. They're trying to reflect God's glory through their gift. 
And if you talk in that way and you say those things, you'll actually create the right mindset in that person. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah, thanks for that observation. Okay, what time are we supposed to go to, by the way? Okay, so we have just maybe a few more minutes, maybe five to seven minutes. I want you to be able to get to your other class. Any other questions before we break? Because we're open. I'm not trying to rush you out of here. I just wanted to be sensitive to the time. So any other questions that weren't already discussed or answered? Okay, yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay, so refining a song so it's more receptive to the industry or... Um, wow. Uh, make it great. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, there's, there's a balance of artists, artistic... I mean, with any song, it's got to have an artistic element and a practical element. I think it's the balance of those two things that make a song great for the broader church. Because obviously you can have a song that's simple, accessible, and memorable, but be very boring. The real challenge for any songwriter is making it interesting but accessible. Like that subtle but simple melodic with a quality and a uniqueness. I'd say uniqueness is really important. With the, all the worship songs that are out there, Having something that's very unique and performs something unique for the church is the best way to get noticed uh, because otherwise it's like, well, we have five songs that do that already. So it's okay to write old ideas in new musical settings, and it's, it's okay to take, um, you know, maybe a common musical vernacular but put a brand new type of expression lyrically around a scripture, around an idea. It's got to have something unique about it for it to be uh, useful to a broad number of churches. Okay? One more if there's anybody else. Otherwise, we'll break. Okay? All right, that's it. Thanks, you guys, for coming. I appreciate it.